Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you got your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Galatians, we have been looking at Paul's letter to the churches that were in the area of Galatia in what is today modern-day Turkey. So we're in Galatians 3, we'll begin with chapter or verse 15 when we get to it. Do, do you, as, as family, do you guys have what are called family rules? Do you guys have any family rules? Rules that the children and, and people should abide by? I mean, there are a lot of them out there. There's, there's the no fussing, no cussing, no back talking, Right? How about uh, laugh together, hug often, and never give up? All good things, right? So what we do as parents is we will take those rules and we will post them on the refrigerator. We put them on coffee mugs. We put them on index cards and, and put them on our mirrors in our bathrooms. And we could easily bring the kids in every morning. And just like the Pledge of Allegiance, we could have our kids say the rules every morning. But the reality is, no matter what we do, it will never create the behavior. Do you know that? Posting them on the refrigerator does not magically cause your children to obey the rules. I mean, we as parents, we need to set clear expectations for our children. And we need to hold them to our standards. But in the end, what we have to realize is that rules do not create obedience. And what is even more true is when it comes to the law of God. That's just the way rules are. They guide our behavior, but they don't create the behavior. Now on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the laws that the Israelites were supposed to live by. The Ten Commandments. And what they do is they call for Israel to be righteous. But God's laws cannot create righteousness. It's not possible. This is a what might be considered by some to be a weakness of the law. It does not, the law does not create within us a desire to do what it demands of us. It guides us towards the right desire, but it does not give us that desire. Or as we're going to see in our scripture today, what Paul says is that the law cannot give life. It cannot. Now, we are a society of laws. I would think that we as Americans probably live under more laws than the Israelites would ever have thought of. And yet, like the Israelites, we are sometimes prone to believe that we can find life in the law. Whenever something happens, especially today, the first thing we do is, well, is that constitutional? Is that, is that lawful for them to even do that? 
See, as fallen humans, this is what we do. We like rules. Well, we like the rules that other people have to follow. We may not like the rules that we have to follow. Even in the church, we think that the rules bring us life. Accept Jesus and then follow the rules. Follow these ten rules after you accept Christ and, and you'll be good, right? Everything will be fine. Or even worse, we begin to add more rules to those rules. We've heard the sermons. Ten rules for a healthy marriage. Ten rules for guiding, raising your children. If you just do the right things and if you just follow the right rules. I fall into this trap all the time, folks. I will sit here and I say, if those people would just do what I told them to do. Until I'm like, oh, that's right, I am one of those people. (laughs) Rules do not create behaviors. Follow the right rules, then God will forgive you, right? And he'll love us more if we follow the rules. Isn't that how it works? If my kids are following all my rules, I love them more, right? No. As I always tell my kids... I don't want you following the rules just because I say so and just because I'm bigger than you. I want you to follow the rules because you love me. We've morphed Christianity into a works-based faith. When the reality is that works and the law will never save us. And then the reality is that the law and works if we trust only in those, will bring us death. So let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word, starting with verse 15. Remember, Paul is telling him that the righteous shall live by faith, but the law and the faith are not the same. So in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The whole point was so that we would get the blessing of Abraham. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. You don't go and change the contract. That's what he's saying. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings. Offspring is singular. Offsprings is plural. That's not what it says. It doesn't say plural. It says one. Referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years after meaning 430 years after the promise made to Abraham, does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave to Abraham by a promise. So why do we have the law? Why then the law? And this is, this is the part that if we don't read, we read this, we, we may not realize what it's saying. It's one of those things we, we brush over. It was added because of transgressions. The law was added because of sin. 
until the offspring, and who's the offspring? Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. There's the Trinity. It is the law, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, and this is important, imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Father, we praise you for your word. Father, I open our hearts and our minds to it. We know that just reading it is not enough. We need to have our minds open and our hearts open and willing to listen to your word. May it change us, help us grow, help us walk in faith. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go and have a seat. You know, God has credited Abraham with righteousness. Why? Not because of anything he has done but because of his faith in God, in faith in what God had promised. God had promised to bless Abraham and bless the world through Abraham. But see, the law that God gave to his offspring later, and that springs, all is just plural, what, what, the, what the law ultimately does to the blessings of God is it actually blocks it. We talked about this last week where it blocks it. And when Jesus came, it's like removing the, the, removing the stone from the stream and now it can flow. It blocked it because of sin. It was made because of sin. The law was put in place because of transgressions. That's what Paul says. And it's because of this, the blessings that God was going to pour out onto the world through Abraham, through Christ, because that is the blessing of Abraham, could never come through the law. The law was never sufficient for the promises of God to flow through. And because of this, Israel, and in fact the whole world, was living under a curse instead of enjoying the blessings of God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God, it was a blessing. It was, they were in the presence of God at all times. They could always walk with him in the garden. He'd come down the cool of the morning. We know that he did that when, they, when he caught them. But they would walk with him. It was gone. And they were cursed. Adam, Eve, the serpent, nature, all cursed, all living under a curse. And if we, we follow the story of Scripture, you know, we, we may be compelled as we're looking at it to believe that the law that God gave to Moses was a guide to help the flow of the promise. I mean, it would make sense. So, you know, God gave a promise. Well, how do we deal with that promise? How, well, we've got the law. Maybe that's how we do it. And that's our normal human response on how we think maybe the law helps us to get the promises of God. You know, first Abraham is promised blessings. Then 430 years later, Moses is given the law. Our presumption might be that the law came later and it would guide the flow of what came first, which was the blessing. And this thought process looks at the law like a funnel. Think about this. This is how this is a Jewish way of thinking about it. 
The funnel is God's law. And God pours his blessings into the funnel. And that funnel, you know, it comes out and it comes out to the Israelites. But we also know that God's promise wasn't just for the Israelites. He promised it. He said the whole world will be blessed. All nations will be blessed because of Abraham. This is is a first century Jewish idea of how the law works. It's where the blessings flow from. The very ones who are troubling the Galatian churches. This is how they would have thought. If you want the promise that God is pouring into the funnel, you need to obey God's laws. So you need to become Jewish. Circumcision, food laws, ceremonial laws, everything. If you, want to, if you want the blessing that was promised to Abraham, you have to go to the law to get it. You want God's blessing? You must become a child of Abraham. That means becoming Jewish for them. Embracing the law and its works and the way of life. You know, the, the Internet, if you're ever on the Internet, the Internet today is full of pop-up ads. That's what those, when a thing pops up and it's an ad Boxes that show your screen in bright colors and flashing colors. And they make promises that seem rather too good to be true. Lose 120 pounds in 20 days. Yeah. Increase your IQ in 10 minutes a day. If you just take this pill, it'll solve all your problems. Become a millionaire with little or no effort. <laughs> All you need to do is click this button and buy this product. And all your dreams will come true. Now, I hope most of us know that that is not true. That all of those things are not true. They wow us with a great promise and we realize that it's just not that simple, right? I can't lose 120 pounds in 20 days. Healthily, I can do it. Ten minutes a day is probably not going to increase my IQ. And I'm sorry. Most people who've made their money the right way, they worked very hard for it. But see, these ads tell us that if we'll get the promised gift, if we just do something far more involved and a lot more complicated than what they are saying. They are trying to lead us down a road that leads to nowhere. I want you to understand that the law and the promise, that's not how they work. We may think that, well, yeah, you know, God promises these things and all we have to do is believe, oh, that just seems too good to be true. I, I must have to do something, right? I mean, I must have to, maybe I have to pray every day. Yeah, if I pray every day, that's what I need to do. No. You need to repent and believe. Well, maybe, maybe if I give to the church, yes, you do need to do that. But that's not salvation. Well, maybe if I read my Bible every day, yeah, you probably should be doing that too, but that's not going to get you any closer to God just because you do it. I know what I'll do. I'll meditate. Ah. Now, now we're, we're talking, right? Unless we get into the wrong area. What Really what they mean by meditation in the world. 
Believe me, there's nothing wrong with meditating on Scripture. There's a lot of problems with meditating. You know, Paul is going to clarify who's going... He clarifies in the Scripture who receives the promises of Abraham. Who receives the promises that God gave to Abraham? It isn't Israel. Israel doesn't receive the promises. It's not the church. The church doesn't receive the promises. Who is it? It's his offspring, singular. It is Jesus who receives the blessings of Abraham. Look at verse 16. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus receives the blessings of God. It is Jesus who's the recipient of the promise. It is Jesus who's the one true beneficiary of all of God's promises. God has given Jesus everything. If we go to the the book of John, this is Jesus talking in verse 31 of chapter 3. He says, He who comes from above is above all. Well, who's come from above? Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks on an earthly way. That's us. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Man. Whenever whenever I see Jesus saying that, that I'm just like, what? He sees everything. He knows, and he's sharing it, and nobody receives it. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. So he's saying Jesus is saying the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and he has given all things into his hand. Again, affirming that it is Jesus who receives the blessings of Abraham. And so what does he do with it? Does he keep them all for himself? No. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is saying, I have life. I have the promises of Abraham, and I want to give them to you. What's the promise of Abraham? What's Jesus? Eternal life. He's not talking about, well, you know, if I follow Jesus, then I'll have all the riches in the world. That's not what he's saying. Well, if I follow Jesus, I'll never be sick. I'll be be completely healthy. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I have eternal life. That's the blessing. That's the blessing that is going to bless the nations because of Jesus. He says, if you believe in me, I will give you eternal life. The blessing that God wants to give the world was given to the world through Jesus. Every blessing we see, every good thing is to be found in Jesus Christ. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. See, Jesus is at the center of everything that God is doing. 
Everything he's doing in this world is because it's about Jesus. And if you want to have the blessings of God, which is eternal life, you must believe in Jesus. It's not about... I'll be careful saying this because I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's not about reading your Bible and praying every day. Those are the things we should do because of the eternal life that we have. But those things do not bring us eternal life. The only thing that brings us eternal life is belief in Christ. We need to do those things. We need to do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We need to read our Bible. We need to grow in Christ. We need to walk in faith. We need to do all these things. Everything we think it means to be a Christian, we need to do. But we don't do it for our salvation. We do it because Jesus loves us and died for us, and we have eternal life. That's why we do it. Now, the obvious question, and Paul asked this, and it's in, in verse 19, he says, if the law, you know, if the law blocked the blessings of God, then why the law? Why did God give the law? And, and Paul gives a very profound answer in verse 19. He says, why then the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. God gave the law because of sin. Because sin was in the world. And he knew the Israelites were going to sin. He gave them the law. But it wasn't permanent. It wasn't always going to be in place. It, now understand, Jesus did not re repeal the law. He fulfilled most of it. There are parts of it that are still in place. A lot of it was ceremonial. Those, are, those aren't in place anymore. We don't have a, a temple. A lot of them are food laws. We don't have those. But a lot of them are relational, and we still have those. They're repeated in the new covenant. But he gave the law because of sin until the time to deal with sin through the death of his son, the offspring of Abraham was going to come. I mean, have you ever thought, why do we have laws? Why, why, does, why does our government constantly make laws? Yes, I know. It used to be the laws were this big. Now the laws are on, you know, they're two foot thick. Why are they constantly making laws? They, well, they write laws because of sin. Why do, you think, why do you think on your lawnmower, it has a little sign there that says, please do not put your hands under the lawnmower. Or do not use this on the roof. Because what happened? Somebody did it one time, at least. When the attorney said, you've got to put a sign on there now. Do not use your hair dryer in the shower. I mean, it actually says that on most hair dryers. Because somebody, because of sin, rules are made. As parents, we make rules because of sin. If our kids acted perfectly, we'd never have to make a rule. If you acted perfectly, the government would never have to make a law. That's why laws are made. If students didn't cheat, there'd be no, no rules on cheating. It's, it's, if we would just do the right thing, we could erase every single law off the books. But we can't. 
We're humans. We have a sin nature. We sin. Now, we, we could argue that God's law does reveal part of who he is, and it does. The God's law reveals part of his character. But the law's primary purpose is to curb sin and to keep it from getting out of hand. You want to know what it would be like if we had no laws? Go back into Genesis and look. Everybody's heart was evil. Every thought was evil. That's what would happen if we had no laws. And there's another effect of the law that that had on God's people. While the law was curbing sin and, and the law was what it was actually started to do was exposing sin. Right? The law shows us the insidiousness of the nature of sin, its power to control, to confuse, to dominate, and to deceive. I said last week, I said, somebody who's who's struggling with sexual sin, it completely envelops their life. It's all they think about. Somebody who's addicted to something, to a substance, all they think about when they're in the throes of that addiction is that substance. When somebody's addicted to their cell phone, all they think about is playing a game or posting on Facebook or Twitter. They can't think of anything else. It takes over our lives. It exposes our sin. and shows us how it controls us. But we, we need to make sure that we're, we understand the purpose of the law. Everything that God has created is good. The problem is, is that we change it and use it for bad. It's all good. We know that even good things can be bad sometimes. Cell phones are great. You know, I can get a hold of people a lot easier than I used to be able to. I mean, I remember when there were no cell phones. I was just telling some people buddy, this week, when we were in West Virginia, we were in a valley in a very small town, and we're walking down the street, and I'm like, kids, look, look, what? It's a phone booth. Guess what? People used to walk up, put a quarter in or a dime in, and a lady would be on the other end, and you'd tell her who you wanted to call. I picked up the phone, and there was a dial tone. It still worked. Now, there was no phone book. Cell phones are great, but we use them incorrectly. I'll be honest with you. Sexuality is an amazing gift that God has given a married couple but it can be used incorrectly. And the world continues to use it incorrectly. But what God creates is good, but we use them for things other than their intended purpose. Charles Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon, he, he says some amazing things. Very simply, he says, you know, a handsaw is a good thing, but not to shave with. Did you hear that? A handsaw is a great thing, but not to shave with. You could cut a lot of wood with a handsaw. I've got handsaws where I've cut a lot of wood. But I sure wouldn't go like this and try to shave my face with it. The purpose of the law was to restrain sin. 
But in the process, it reveals sins subtly, subtly and its power. It shows us how it controls us. And it was put in place only until Christ came to deal with sin. I mean, we can see this in our own lives. I mean, how many times do we tiptoe around God's law? Well, I, I, I really, you know, I really didn't lie. It was a white lie. It was a white lie. Yeah. I love there's a, there's a video um, that we watch um, in our small group on Tuesday night, and it's called American Gospel. Watch the first part of it. And Ray Comfort's out interviewing people, and he sits there and he asks this kid, so have you ever lied? Well, I told some white lies. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Yeah. Have you ever swore? Yeah. And then he just Ray names off, well, you're a lying, cheating, adulterer, fornicator. He says, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, we, we think, because the first thing you ask him, do you think you're a good person? He says, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. See, we skirt around the law. We skirt around sin thinking it's okay. So the question that Paul asks is, why the law? And, and we have to ask, is the law mostly a negative thing? It seems that the law kind of hinders rather than helps God's purpose. And then Paul asks the next logical question in verse 21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Is the law hindering and stopping the promises of God. He says, no, certainly not. It's not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. See, the law was never intended to give life. It was intended to show us our sin, to curb sin, and to be in place until Jesus comes, dies on the cross for our sins, so we don't have to worry about sin anymore. That's the purpose of it. See, if if I make a law in my home and its purpose is to intentionally catch my kids doing something wrong, they're going to think that's extremely unfair. And this is what Paul is saying. The law was never put in place to bring us life. It's a good thing. It's something we need to follow. Not for our salvation, though, because of our salvation we need to follow. I'll keep saying that until we get in our heads. The law cannot give life. And this applies to all laws. They have a purpose. And it's good most of the time. Not always. I'll be honest with you. There's some of the laws of the books I don't like. I don't think they have a good purpose. But that purpose is not to bring us life. And if we look to them for life, we'll only find death. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an example. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture into a touchy area. You guys have heard about the law in Texas that says you cannot have an abortion. Um, abortions stop at six weeks. It's good law. Especially because nine times out of ten what they're doing, they're showing the women the heartbeat of the baby, and most women will say, I don't want to kill the baby. But see, the problem is, is that doesn't bring life. That law does not bring life. We think, yes, it does. It brings the life of the child. But then we have a woman who's hurting, a woman who is lost, and if we don't step in and if we don't help those women who are now not going to get an abortion, if we don't help them with either keeping the child or putting the child into adoption, 
we're, we're, she's going to be under a curse. It's going to be difficult if we don't help her. We can't just rely on the law for life. We need, we need Christ. We need to be Christ to those people who are in those situations. It's not just enough to pass a law. How are we going to help them after the fact? Not that we condone what they did. In fact, as part of the process, we need to make sure they understand, you know, what you did was wrong. you got this child and this amazing life, and God created it. But you have an issue you need to deal with, which is sin in your life, and you need to repent of that. But we're going to walk with you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to be there for you. That's what we need to do. That brings life. Not the law that says you can't have an abortion after, after six weeks. The law is good. But that doesn't bring life. The law cannot give us motivation to do what the law demands. It can guide us in doing God's will, but it will never motivate us to do do God's will. What motivates us to do God's will? The love of Christ. The fact that he died for us and gives us eternal life. That's what motivates us to do God's will. The law influences our desires in a way that honors God, but it will never give us honoring desires. See, that's the problem sometimes as believers. We we believe that if if I just do these things, then my, my sin will be gone, I'll be done, I won't have to deal with it anymore. No, we need to get to the core. We need to get to the core of our desires, and we need to honor God with our desires. But the law will not make that happen. But we have to also understand it's not the law's fault. We can't sit there and say, well, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have a problem, right? If I just didn't know that looking at a woman lustfully is wrong, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, it would. Because you still have the sin. It's not the law's fault. And it's not the lawgiver's fault. The fault lies entirely with you and me. The law can influence our desires in a way that honors God, but it never gives us God-honoring desires. We have to remember that. When Adam and Eve, when they fell, we fell with them. We cannot escape that fallen human nature on our own, no matter how hard we try. And the law will not eliminate the fallen nature. We need to kill it ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, put it to death. We have to come to the same conclusion that Paul did. Everything was imprisoned under sin until Christ came. This is why the history of Israel looks so bleak. While the nation itself had been redeemed from slavery in Egypt, the people had not yet been redeemed as people. They were not redeemed from their slavery to sin. There were those who were faithful. There were those who, like Abraham, were righteous because of their belief. But there were many, many who followed the ways of the world and sinned. When God gave the law at Sinai, the, at Sinai, the right circumstances were there for them to obey the law, but they did not have the right heart to obey the law. We looked at this in Scripture, and it'll say that you know God says He's going to write His words on their heart. 
their hearts aren't right, just as our hearts aren't right at times. The gift of God's law led them to their, to their undoing and brought them a curse rather than a blessing. But there's good news, not just for Israel, but for all of us. And Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus will bless us if we believe. What will he bless us with? Eternal life. And then we walk according to the Spirit. Jesus died in order to deal with our sin. And every transgression that we have done, we are doing, or we will do, he took care of. And if we need to follow his will, because all these sins we committed are done, the ones we commit against God's will and God's law, but even more so, Jesus was raised from the dead. And because of that, through the Holy Spirit, he pours out on our, the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we now live by the Spirit and not by the law. So what can we glean from this? From our understanding of the role of God's law and God's plan for the nations. They're not rules. I want you to understand these are not ten rules. I'm not going to give you ten anyways. These are not three rules that you must follow in order to be a better, better Christian. But this is what the scriptures teach us. The first thing we need to remember is that the law has an important, though a limited role in our lives. It is important, but it's limited. It doesn't give us life, but what it does, it helps us live out the life we already have. For motivation, we have to look not to the law, we look to Christ. Look to the work that he's done. That's our motivation. And we need to trust his promises to us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to remember those promises. We have to seek the life Jesus wants us to live by faith, looking to God's provision in Christ rather than the law. We do not ignore the law because the law does guide us. We are still to honor our father and mother. We're to love the Lord your God. We're not to make graven images, right? We are to do those things. It guides us not to ignore it, but it doesn't bring us life. We have to root our lives in the promises of God. This is what it means to have a gospel-rooted life. It means rooting our lives in the law will make us cold. If we root our lives in following the Ten Commandments, we're going to be cold, we're going to be prickly, we're going to be sharp, we're going to be brittle. We're not going to be pleasant to be around. 
But when we root our lives in the sustaining soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we fill our lives with this lush, bountiful bountiful fruit of obedience to him. And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit by faith. Our motivation to the glory of God in accord with God's will must come from the Holy Spirit. It must come from Him. We have to treasure God's promises in His Word and experience the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And we must understand the Spirit of God will always walk lock and step with the Word of God. Finding our strength in God's Word, treasuring all the promises God has made through Christ, trusting the Holy Spirit for our motivation will turn us into a flame of gospel-rooted living that's for the glory of God. That's what we need to do. It's not the law. The law is good. The law guides us, but it doesn't bring us life. Life only comes through Christ, through faith in Him. I'm going to ask the Gentlemen, come forward to serve. We celebrate communion to remind us of what Christ did, of the promise that he made, that our sins would be forgiven. So we take it together as a family. I'm going to ask Jeff to pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings you give us. We thank you for your son. We thank you that through him we can have eternal life. You've given us laws. You've given us things to live by. But it is only through him that we will have eternal life. And we thank you for that. As we celebrate his life, death, and resurrection today, Lord, Please keep us focused on you and his sacrifice for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, his closest friends, the ones he was going to impart his ministry to. Believe me, they did not fully understand the gravity of what was going to happen. We have the advantage of having, being able to look back and see that night and the importance of what Jesus did. He took the bread. Bread was a staple. He says this bread, the bread of life. He says he said previously he was the bread of life. That he is it. He sustains the world. This night he said, this bread is my body that's being given for you. He was going to die on the cross, a physical death for our sins and for us. And he said, take it and eat it. That's Jeff Bell. Pray for the cup. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this day. We thank you for these communion elements we take in remembrance of you. We thank you for giving your son for us and keeping us safe for the weeks. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. On that same night, in the same way he took the cup, this would have been the third cup of the night as according to Jewish Passover um, traditions. Jesus was preparing, actually preparing them for what was going to happen the next day. That he would be put on a cross 
and his blood would be spilled, as was the custom for the Passover lamb. And as you read it, it's interesting how it all comes back around because one of the things John the Baptist said about him is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here we come full circle to that actually occurring. So Jesus took, took the cup and he blessed God for the cup. And he said, This cup is my blood. That's being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Father, we praise you. We praise you for your love. We do praise you for the law. Because without the law, we would never know what it meant to sin. It guides us. But we know it doesn't bring us life. It helps us to curb sin but it doesn't give us the motivation to live a life that honors you. That only comes through trust in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to walk in faith and walk in the Spirit. Give us our daily bread. Give us what we need for today so that we can honor you and do your will. We praise you and we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.